This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome back to Big Ideas and Small Windows. My name is Mike Gaskell. I am your host, and it's a pleasure to have Karen Dudek-Brennan here with me for an interview, and we're actually on the same podcast network, which I'm really excited about because we get to share interviews across experiences. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I mean, you have such an interesting bio and I gave that at the beginning. So I just want to dive right in and start asking you some questions about your background and some of the interesting things you've been able to accomplish and you that you continue to focus on. Yeah. Sounds good. Great. So let me just begin by asking why, why should schools care about this thing, executive functioning and its impact on on mental health and, and even decision making? We could start off by just talking about what it is. And I think that it is vastly misunderstood. A lot of people who understand what it is at a surface level think of it as this very broad category of being organized, which that is part of what it is, but that's very surface level. And a lot of times people are focused on the external things that you see that are a result of whether or not, you know, how well developed your executive functioning skills are. Like, do you show up on time? Do you have your assignments turned in? Are you able to complete a task from start to finish and engage in goal-directed behavior? And so those are the things that we see externally, but really what it is, is it's a set of cognitive processes that take place in our prefrontal cortex. So Things like being able to think ahead and make plans and predict what might happen, using information from past events to figure out how you should plan for the future. So being able to kind of just visualize, all right, what's going to happen? Where am I going? And what do I need to do to get there? And then the other thing that we are able to do is just really, if we are thinking about the end goal, we're able to typically visualize how it looks when we're done. And then we also can work back and figure out what do I need to do to get there? How do I initiate the first step? And so we can put language to that. We can put it into steps and kind of talk ourselves through those situations, but then we can also visually see it. So we can create this picture in our head of achieving that end goal, but also doing all of the steps. And that's what helps us to motivate ourselves to actually engage in that goal-directed behavior, even if it's challenging. And then As you know, let's say that you have a set of steps that you think, okay, here's where I'm going. I need to go downstairs and make lunch. And so here's what that's going to look like. Here are the steps that I'm going to to take. And let's say you go downstairs and on the way there, you get interrupted by something. That never happens, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or let's say that an ingredient is missing and you have to shift and adapt your plan. Or maybe you thought that um, you estimated how long something was going to take and you under or overestimated it. And so you have to shift your plans because things come up along the way. So being able to shift, being able to come up with a plan B, 
being in the middle of something and being able to generate multiple options for doing something and multiple ways of doing something and having that flexibility, that's called ideational fluency. And so that's part of our executive functioning. And then also just while you're doing that, you have to be able to self-monitor both while you're doing the steps and then also at the end to figure out that I actually accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And when we're thinking about how global this can impact a lot of times with a surface level thing that we think about is our kids getting their homework turned in and are they completing academic assignments, which of course is part of it, but because there's so much going on and it requires us to just constantly be able to evaluate incoming information in our environment to make those decisions, we have to be able to read the room and look around at what's going on to be able to self-monitor and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So it has a big impact on our ability to not just do academic tasks, but engage in social situations and functional things. Just again, like I mentioned, making a meal knowing how to go into the lunchroom and figure out, you know, where are my friends? What am I doing? Being able to have a conversation with, with a, a group of peers or navigate a big group conversation. Or, I mean, think about all the different things that you might have to do if you're going to play in a sport, be in a play, if you're involved in theater or be involved in a club. So all of those things that require you to be constantly paying attention to what am I doing? Where am I going? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? How are others responding to me? All of that would fall under the umbrella of executive functioning. And so it can really impact all of the areas of the curriculum, but also all of the parts of the school day and then beyond to vocational settings, extracurricular activities, relationships, all the things that you really need to be able to do on top of those academic skills in order to be a successful adult one day. Well, so that I just want to unpack that with you because it's funny, I'm looking at my list of questions and you just answered like the first three, which is great. <laughs> but I, I think what's so great about what you're characterizing that can help parents and, and kids and schools is we used to call this very rudimentary organizational skills, right? Mm -hmm. And you're saying, no, 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 no. There's so much more and layers to this. Right. That if you can gain a deeper understanding of what executive functioning is and how it can help uh, children succeed, we're going to be able to address some of the issues, which is interesting because we could talk for a whole podcast just about the issues that interfere with executive functioning. Right, couldn't right. We? Um, mm -hmm. You think about some of the social media disruptions and, and I, I'm sure mm -hmm. you could go on, but what are some of those things that, that create the anxiety as a result of executive dysfunction, which is the reverse? Yeah, yeah. So that is really important to understand because a lot of times, and you know, again, there are many cases where kids have experienced trauma, they're experiencing anxiety, and it is appropriate. You know, we, we always want kids to have adults that are, you know, a safe person that they can go to and just somebody that they can talk to that is a safe space for them. But I think what sometimes people don't realize or what's difficult to discern is that if you can't envision yourself being successful doing something, or if you can't think about something that like, like, let's say you're going to do something that's new and unfamiliar, like you have a new class with a teacher that you don't know and it's, you know, a subject that you've never taken and it's something new. You don't know what to expect, but you probably 
Maybe you had another class that was in a similar subject. You've been in school before, so you can take information from that past experience and envision it and feel it and then use that information to plan how to be successful in this other situation. And if you can't do that, you can't take information from the past and apply it to the future. If you can't envision yourself being successful and be able to talk yourself through, you know, like, hey, I can do this. I'm a little bit nervous, but I've got this. Or just understand what steps you need to take in order to get started. It just feels so like, like you just can't really grasp it in your mind and everything just seems so uncertain to you. And that can be really scary. Think about if you've ever had something where you had no idea what to expect, you knew it was going to be hard, you knew you were going to have to work hard and you couldn't really grasp in your mind how long it was going to take and then, and what you need to be successful that's going to cause you to have a lot of anxiety and some anxiety and discomfort is normal when you're experiencing new things. But if you can't use strategies and engage in some internal dialogue in order to prepare yourself for those new situations to at least gain some level of confidence that you can be successful, then that anxiety is going to be even worse. So if you really think about what we're asking kids to do, it just sort of feels like you're jumping off a cliff, you know? And so, um, and the only way to really move through that is to have those experiences so that you can get practice with taking information from this, this situation and applying it over here. You need practice doing that. And so if you're just sitting there talking about your feelings, well, that's, that's not really giving you the experiences that you need to build confidence and move forward and work through learning curves. So while there is definitely a place for talk therapy, absolutely. And there's even a place for working on some of the skills that are going to support executive functioning in a separate setting. We have to make sure that we have other strategies and are using other models in order to be able to provide supports in the real world. Because a lot of the quote, therapy or intervention doesn't happen in that session. It happens once they leave the session. So we have to make sure that we're thinking about how am I going to make sure that these kids have support outside of their interventions or their therapy or their classroom or whatever it is that we're getting. Yeah. And and I think what I heard from you is self-talk and and talk therapy is, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not a silver bullet. Like you, you should be creating multiple ways, or as I like to say, multiple maneuvers to help kids develop the skills to manage all that's going on here, right? Because we we interviewed a book called Leading Schools Through Trauma, and I'm hearing all this stuff Mm -hmm. that I consolidated into this book. And one of the interesting things is, is anxiety is a real issue and it's, it's increased. It was increasing even before the pandemic. And here we are, it really more or less peaked. And now I think we're just kind of sitting at this pretty high slope that we need to help kids bring down. You have some thoughts about this on, you know, things like resilience, adaptability. You talked a little bit around this, but I just wanted to ask more specifically um, about those kinds of things and and self-regulation. What are some of those things that schools, so here we are in school, right? And we're teaching mm-hmm. curriculum and how are we going to integrate this? Because I know you, we've heard this, right? You and I, when am I going to do this? How do I have time for this? How do yeah. we, how do we present that? to schools and to teachers? Yeah, so there's there's so many different pieces and, and where in the work that I do, a lot of times I'm supporting the related service providers who like they are 
there's there's kids who have gotten referred for special services and they they might have IEPs or 504 plans or at least they're on some kind of an intervention plan where they're getting something above and beyond the general education curriculum. And so I would say that a lot of the challenges that some of those practitioners are facing is that they are, a lot of them have been trained in pull out medical therapy model where you pull the, the, the child out in to a separate session. And so that's what they've learned. And as I talked about before, that is part of what needs to happen, but it's not all of what needs to happen. And so I do get a lot of the, like, how am I supposed to work on all of this? Like, how am I supposed to, for my speech pathologists, a lot of times they have to work on things like language and vocabulary to support reading comprehension. It's like, how do I work on language and vocabulary and then work on executive functioning at the same time? So the way that I see it working from that end is that there does really need to be someone who is kind of the, the lead person who is helping the IEP team, which again, that can be when you're, when you're helping the IEP team, a lot of times that can transition over to what's going on in the general education classroom, because there's many times when teachers might provide support in the classroom because they're thinking about a student who gets special ed services, but it's something that could probably benefit the whole class if the teacher develops those skills. Mm -hmm. So what I usually recommend is that those people in those roles have the support that they need to be able to not just provide therapy in a pullout model, but to be able to use multiple service delivery models. And what I mean by that is that direct therapy and pulling kids out into a small group or in a one-on-one -on -one session, that's one therapy model. Um, but then there's other there's other service delivery models that you can do as well. There's there's co-teaching where you have two professionals who are supporting the class at the same time, and then there's all kinds of different models within co-teaching. There is consultation where one professional is training another professional or coaching them to learn some other new skill. Or there's you might have someone on the team who's providing an in-service to train someone in something that is within their scope, but that they can share with other people. And then there's other ways that you can do this when you're trying to work around time constraints, where you think about the way that we communicate information and train people and share resources doesn't just have to be in having a face-to-face -face conversation or having a formal lecture type training. We can make videos, we can make resources, we can have some kind of a running Google doc where we're sharing resources and information and strategies. So we can kind of create assets or materials. And what I recommend for people who are in that role where they're providing those direct services is that they start to think about the way that they handle their jobs in that standpoint of not, I say, don't plan for therapy, but plan for service delivery across the day. And, and so I think that when you, when you start to understand that, what those people in those roles need is that they do need support from the leadership, because a lot of times what I've experienced from people in those roles is that it's like, well, my administrator says I need to do things this way, but I really think that my students need this. And so there does need to be that communication and that support to be able to be able to do those other service delivery models. Because I think that sometimes people feel like, well, like this is a little different than what everybody expects me to do. So am I going to get buy-in for my team? Am I going to get support from teachers? Um, and then a lot of this does have to do with making sure that the general education teacher, uh, the people who are have the, the large class instruction, 
I see those people who are the support members of the team. Like we really need to make sure that the teachers have the knowledge and the training and the support from the other individuals. So there does need to be that communication and, and collaboration from the team. And I think that that is what's the most challenging. But I think the key is just thinking differently about the way that we communicate information. Um, and again, there I think it is beneficial for there to be one person on that IEP team in that building that's kind of the go-to executive functioning person that's kind of managing that, even though that person shouldn't necessarily be the one that's doing all the intervention. Everybody needs to have a role. They just might not be the person who's kind of the lead go-to person who's who's coordinating everything. And a lot of the people who are working in those special ed roles, they're a case manager on the IEP. So this is kind of just an extension of, of how their job can look. And, and as far as who that is, the reason that I have expertise in this area is because with my background as a speech pathologist, we get a lot of the training and the neuroanatomy and how it impacts behavior. And, you know, a lot of us have had courses in traumatic brain injury. And so because we have that background, it does make sense a lot of times for an SLP to be working on executive functioning. I do know a lot of SLPs who they worked in a school and then they started a private practice. And now that they're private, they do executive functioning therapy as their area of expertise. And they can kind of do a little bit more than they were able to do in the school setting. So it is within the SLP scope, but I don't only think it's in the SLP scope. It could be a special ed teacher or a reading specialist, the social worker, the psychologist, or the counselor. It really could be anybody who has the adequate training and information on how this impacts kids because it really does impact a lot of areas. It really just kind of depends on what the setup is in your building because there's all kinds of subtle differences in the way that IEP teams are arranged. I know yeah. I kind of went, <laughs> I hope I answered your question. <laughs> about three of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I was thinking about that. That's a great approach because I'm thinking about it. So I'm a practitioner, I'm a school leader, as you know, I'm New Jersey. But right away, I thought to myself, what I really liked about how you presented this is two things. One, you're speaking in terms that can apply to anybody in any state, because of course, different states have different yeah. structures and, and, and school, even from one school to the next, you can have a different structure. And secondly, you're talking about, well, it doesn't really matter who the quote unquote expert is. It can be any person that fits that role for that school, big or small, from New Jersey to California, wherever. And that's great because what you're saying is, is we just have to find that person and then they're the, they're the representative, they're the go-to person. And the second part that I really liked about how you presented this is I kept hearing in my mind, PLC, you know, professional learning community. Yes. This mm -hmm. to me screamed an effective professional learning community. And there's so much great research out there that if properly turnkeyed, you can apply just what you're saying in a very effective way that reaches kids in the best modalities possible to learn about this incredible lifelong skill. And you're talking about generalizing you learn in one area and then you can apply it to another. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, I could spend another couple of hours with you here, yeah. uh, but I don't want to, I don't want our audience to turn us off. I know the magic number. So, so we'll, we'll consolidate <laughs> it. So we talked a lot about school uh, personnel and their roles. And you gave me some great examples of how that can just work in an adaptable fashion regarding whoever takes on those roles. What about parents? How do parents play a role in this? How can we get them involved in either supporting or helping manage uh, this growth for children in executive functioning? Parents are so important to this process because 
so that the people who are working with kids in the schools, there's a lot of ways where you can integrate really functional project-based learning into your curriculum. Obviously, you have to work on the academics, but I know that there's a lot of really good work being done in schools that's getting kids out into the communities, you know, vocational opportunities and, you know, really working on both the academic and the functional side. But parents are the ones that really have that opportunity to provide kids with a lot of diverse experiences that are going to help them build those skills. So there's a couple things that parents can think about if they really do want to support executive functioning, especially if they have kids who, like, let's say that they have ADHD or autism or something else that is going to impact executive functioning, one of the most powerful things that they can do is make sure that there is clear accountability, um, clear communication of expectations and structure in the day. So if you think about, like, in my head, when I think about my schedule for the next week, you know how you have those little color blocks on your calendar, you can kind of like, Envision your calendar and see the time slots on your calendar. Yeah, Kids who, who struggle with executive functioning might not be able to do that yet. So it is very important for parents to be able to use visuals, calendars, and things that are going to communicate that, but also make sure that they have those structured time blocks in place so that it's clear what's our routine, what's our schedule, because what that does is that it cuts down. Like If, if you know what your routine is, that that cuts down on a lot of the transition time and the, you know, what's going on. And, and it's a lot less chaotic. So that Absolutely. structure can be really important, but the way that you can do that without hovering and providing so much structure that it's detrimental to kids is that you want to mm. think about those time slots as buckets that you fill with things. So you can have a bucket, like even if you're, you know, as we're recording this, it's June. And so a lot of parents are wondering, how do I, make sure that my kids have a good summer where you can have these buckets where, you know, yes, it's good to work on some academic work in the summer. So maybe you spend 30 minutes a day doing something academic, reading, whatever it is. So that's your academic bucket. And then you want to make sure that you have time for other things. And so you might have these, these times where it's like from this time to this time, we're going to be doing you know, X activity. And then within that time slot, the activity is a little less structured. So kids do get that time to, you know, hang out with friends, have activities that are, again, less structured. The unstructured play and activities is really important because that's where you get to practice a lot of those skills that do require you to use your executive functioning. And one of the things that parents can do when they're thinking about how do I arrange my day is make sure that there's a lot of variety in the things that kids are doing. One of the things that you don't want to do is, you know, be like, okay, we're going to work on reading for 30 minutes and then mm -hmm. we can just, you know, sit on video games all day and not do anything else. If something, if, if kids are struggling with executive functioning, then anything unfamiliar is going to be hard for them. They're going to tend to avoid it. So they might need a little bit of a nudge to try new things. So you want to just make sure that you are getting kids into a variety of different activities. Obviously, you don't want to force them to do something that's completely outside the range of what they'd be interested in. But just those little nudges of trying different things, whether it be sports clubs, um, you know, uh, in interactions with with friends and peers, um, and, and obviously, uh, one thing that is, is not super productive is, you know, things like 
devices, social media, and gaming, even though obviously doing that in moderation, once you've done your other important things for the day, you know, some of that is okay as long as there's there are boundaries around it. So really the main thing is, is the structure and making sure that you are getting kids into a lot of different activities and allowing them to build those skills. Because if you totally leave it up to kids, a lot of times they, they don't have the self-regulation skills to make those good decisions. They do need some adult support to make some of those decisions because we know some of the things that, um, you know, having gone through those experiences ourselves, we might, you know, we have the insight on what's going to help them feel confident that they might not have. And a lot of times I think it's, it's just really important to encourage kids to try new things because a lot of times you don't know if you like something or if you're good at something unless you try it or you try it and you're not good at it at first and then you get better at it. I mean, that's another really important lesson in res resiliency. And mm. so, um, you know, parents can play a really important role in that. And there are some more specific strategies as far as just the way that you model and the way that you talk kids through some of those challenging activities, like if they have a hard time independently getting ready for school in the morning or something like that. That's kind of a common thing where it's like, you know, packing up the bag might be challenging. So there are some opportunities to work on some visuals and some strategies there as well. But yeah, the main thing starts with the structure. Yeah. I kept thinking when you said, you said structure, like it was like a commercial, like seven times in that, in that, uh, Sometimes in that I get a word and it's dialogue. like, I just yeah. keep saying it, <laughs> but it's a good word. Cause I was thinking about how one of the things that my wife and I figured out a couple of years ago with our kids was we put a big, a good old fashioned big calendar yeah. on a main site that we all walk by and we all rely on that. That's our one kind of, which is so ironic because it has nothing to do with the digital world or, or color coding, like you said, but it works. So I think your whole point is whatever works for you, just, just run with it and then model that behavior for your kids. Right. Yeah. Honestly, it is probably for most kids, if, if executive functioning is an issue, better to not be go with the low tech route um, mm. first. And they might be able to transition to digital, but I would go less digital because a lot of times it's more concrete to have something that you can physically hold. Right. Because you, you know, when you think about digital files, you have to kind of imagine in your head where the files are. But if you have mm. physical files, you can see it, it's a little bit more concrete. Right. So the more concrete you can be, the better. At yeah, least I think that works better for adults as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, and I love what you said earlier. I caught on that when you said, because I, I always tell this to teachers, if it's working for students with special needs, why not use it for everybody? Yeah. We had said that before too. So I think that's something that can be applied to anybody. We were talking about how schools and educators and those in each of their roles and parents can help kids. Well, what about kids? What like responsibilities do they have as they're working towards these goals and how can we hold them to account on that That's a good or question. encourage them, I should say? Yeah. So, I mean, they, I think part of it is it depends on their age. Obviously a kid, you know, someone who's in high school is going to have more of a, more responsibilities and accountability than kids who are, you know, early elementary school. And I think that that's part of the process is that it's very task dependent, but part of working on strategies is figuring out what is our end goal, because that end goal is, you know, this is what you're responsible for. And the adult in that situation might be the one who 
they might be providing some modeling of, okay, like we're stuck here. Like, let's think about what you can do next. And so they might be providing that support, but you can, the, the child can still be accountable for doing whatever it is like, you know, chores, their homework, their assignments. Maybe you have things at home that everybody in the family is responsible for. So just saying, you know, just showing them that, you know, we do our things that are our responsibilities first, and that's kind of, it could be family specific, classroom specific. And then we can do, you know, this other thing that's kind of a, you know, a fun activity, because that's a really important thing that we have to learn in life is we get our responsibilities done first, and then we get to do the things that are fun. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of how adults naturally learn to delay gratification and learn a sense of accountability. So just that whole concept of we do the things, here's this thing that we need to do first, and then we can move over here to this other thing. So yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's it's task specific, but yeah, we, we kind of have to base it on what that child is able to do independently and what the, what the context or the setting is, you know, I mean, they'll mm -hmm. be different, depends on your family, depends on what the class is and, and things like that. But, but kids absolutely should be held accountable because that's one of the really important things in the delaying gratification. And I think, you know, from, from a, the parenting standpoint, I think it is important for them to know that it, that it is important for there to be consequences and, you know, kids to learn that because then that's what helps them to develop that sense of accountability that they can then apply to other situations in their life. You had such a realistic, you have such a realistic approach about this, right? Let's, let's be flexible to the context or the situation or the kid or the age or the needs. And yet within those parameters sets boundaries, which I think is such a realistic way to do it. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you just want to throw out there to the audience so we can get more about, about all this great stuff about executive functioning? It is as a person who is providing, you know, I, I provide support for the people on the IEP teams. I think one of the biggest challenges from my end is figuring out just how to get it out there and how to just provide the support for districts so that it is something that people buy into because what is has been one of the challenges for me is that a lot of times districts will want, you know, they'll have their PD day and it's like, we want you to come for a six hour presentation or do a three hour training. And that just really isn't enough mm -hmm. as far as support for people. And so that's kind of challenging where it's like, okay, I guess it's nice. You know, we filled our PD day and people got excited, inspired about something. But I, I know that I'm barely scratching the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And I also know that I'm only going to give them a little bit of support and then they're going to go try it and not be able to stick with it and mm -hmm. really change their habits and behaviors. So I'm just really hoping that that districts start to be open to some of these other models that are professional development models that are more ongoing so that mm -hmm. that people can have that place to engage in that support and just be thinking about that when they're planning those PD days. And, you know, I get it. Like everybody's got all everybody's being pulled in all kinds of different directions. And a lot of times it's like we just have to fill this day and we just got to get it done. But it's it's frustrating because sometimes I feel like I am I'm I'm trying to fit something fit it into a model that really isn't I'm trying to fit all my information into a model that 
where it's not really going to work and, you know, be mm -hmm. as successful, but, you know, <laughs> I still work with it and try to make it work, but I, I do hope that we start to think about the way that we provide support and training for school leaders and the people who are in, in the districts and the buildings so that they can really be able to have the support that they need. Yeah, hopefully we can start here, right, and get the word out and on your podcast, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute. But also, I was thinking about how the uh, government has begun to recognize mm -hmm. that mental health is a crisis. And we're starting to get some funding for this. So this may be part of that process that helps springboard great um, ways to implement PD like you're proposing. So I really do hope that that carries through, like you said, because I, I'm 100% in agreement. The one workshop wonder doesn't work. We already know that. And mm -hmm. you need to apply a process and then go back and continue to inject into that process. Go back and yeah. continue to add to it. So I love the way you, you pointed that out. So tell us a little bit about the De facto leaders podcast. I know that a lot of it might've been talked around in our yeah. right in here, but anything else to add about, about your, your podcast? Yeah, so I actually started it off, and so it was March 2021, and it was in the parenting category. It was called Are They 18 Yet? So if you listen to any episodes before July of 2022, it says, Are They 18 Yet? And I really did talk a lot about executive functioning, ADHD, autism, neurodiversity, and I, I did have mostly a clinical audience, so it sort of started to steer back towards more of a clinical focus. And I was finding in a lot of my programs that they were very focused on the therapy aspect, but I really felt like if I'm going to make a bigger impact, I need to expand to the entire IEP team and also think about providing this information to people who are aspiring leaders and who are already in leadership positions in the schools. And so it is, it did kind of start with the language and literacy and executive functioning, but it's expanded beyond because you know how it is, you're just peeling back the layers of the onion and, and really what it's kind of transitioned to is being this broader, this broader show about education reform. And so I don't just talk about what do we do, what are the strategies that we do when we're working directly with students, but also these, these other issues, like how do we engage the community? How can we think about how we collaborate with each other as professionals? What are some of these other, you know, like reform strategies that we need to think about? I had somebody talking about unions and advocacy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've talked about um, how do we think about providing resources to the community? So just all these other things where you know, when we're thinking about providing services for kids, it's like there's these other barriers that are impacting what's happening to kids when they come to school. So I'm kind of diving into all mm -hmm. those different areas that are impacting kids that are in K-12 education and and then beyond. Um, you know, I recently had somebody, uh, her, her episode, um, her name is Jill Fay. She's from Eastern Illinois University, um, and she works with executive functioning at the college level and has some really interesting stories. And then I don't just talk about executive functioning. I talk about all kinds of leadership type strategies on the show. And so really the idea is about no matter what your role is in education, whether you're a teacher, a therapist, in an official leadership position that you can think of yourself as a leader, no matter what your role is, you can really just choose yourself and make an impact now in, you know, in your own way. So that's really what the show's about. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's evolved to this more holistic yep. support system, which is great. Well, Karen, it was super having you on here. And, and it's funny, I asked like four questions and you answered like nine. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. Because that's how I love the way a, an interview can go. And where can people find you? So if they want to find the Defector Leaders podcast, I'm on all the directories and also the episodes are on my website at drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash blog. I do have a free training where I walk through some of the frameworks that I teach for getting executive functioning support in place. It was mostly designed for people who are in that related service provider role. So SLP, social worker, psychologist, counselor, it could be relevant to somebody who's in an administrative role as well. But that training is about just putting that support in place, how to be evidence-based and also make sure that you're neurodiversity affirming. So to sign up for that free training, you can go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash EF leadership. And yeah, so I think you've got my, my website. Excellent. And, I'll make and sure I'm on LinkedIn this. too. If people want to connect with me. LinkedIn is a good place to connect. Yes, you me. are. And I loved your comment to me about when I wrote the article about ignoring social media, that this is probably the one vein yeah. that, that works productively on social media. And I agree. Yeah. LinkedIn's a great source and there's some great articles and, and authors and speakers on there. So thanks again, Karen. It was a pleasure having you on. And I think it's going to be a great share with my audience. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great one. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B E.